And you know what? Happy, happy chefs make happy food. And that's really quite an important thing. You know, people can't, people that are unhappy simply do not cook nice food. Welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Adam Byatt from Trinity Restaurant in London. And he joins us to talk about his experience over 34 years within the industry, as well as some of the things he's learned as a result of the pandemic and his insights into how he believes a hospitality business should be run. It's a fantastic chat, again, with very useful insights, one that I very much hope you enjoy. And if you think of anyone that you might would like to have featured on the Burnt Chef Journal, front of house, back of house, or any other role or affiliation with the hospitality industry, then please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll do our best to feature them in upcoming episodes. As always, hope you enjoy this chat, and thank you very much for listening. Lamb Westerner, your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being free potatoes, and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project, here to offer our support and help for those that need it, and any solutions that you need for you and your business. Morning, Adam. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, Chris, you're good. Yeah, not too bad at all, thank you. Thank you very much for um, for joining us on a on a chat this morning. It's all right. It's a pleasure. Good. How's the? Uh, I mean, it's, it seems like a strange question to ask, at the moment, but how's things been despite the pandemic? Um, yeah, it's all right. Um, well, the pandemic's the, the the closing of lockdown stuff is sort of um, all encompassing life at the moment, isn't it? That's all there is really. It's uh, there's not a lot going on apart from that, but. Uh, things are good yeah family are well we're healthy and fit and that's uh that's important right so yeah exactly i mean it's so uh, we're having to practice a lot of gratitude at the moment aren't we really for for things that we used to take for granted really yeah for sure yeah absolutely yeah got recommended as someone that we needed to speak to as uh the forefront of an employer that not only represents a high quality standard of, of cooking and, and environment but also uh, looks after and nurtures the well-being of staff and and in terms of your mentorships and the other work you do I thought it'd be quite interesting to sit and have a chat with you and also uh, for our listeners to understand a little bit about sort of yourself your background where you've come from and what sort of things that you look for within your business to focus on the well-being uh, and also the efficiency of your staff in a Michelin environment really so I was just wondering if we, if we take it from the top and sort of start with sort of who you are and where you've come from for those that perhaps aren't aware. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Adam Byatt and I'm, I've been a chef now for 34 years. Um, I come originally from Essex and I left there um, <clears throat> when I started at Claridge's. As soon as I left school, I started at Claridge's and I was taken on board by the Academy of Culinary Arts to go down to Bournemouth and study on the Special Chefs course, which is a quite an amazing thing. So I left home, went to live in Bournemouth and was sponsored to go to the Special Chefs course, which I did for five years while I stayed at Claridge's, um, which is pretty amazing. Left Claridge's, did lots of different styles in London um, <clears throat> and ended up, I did a quick stint at the Barclay Hotel with John Williams there. 
um, because John Williams was the, the exec at Claridge's when I was there. And then I left there and went to the square, ended up at the square, which was the old square at the time in, in uh, King Street in, uh, in St. James. And um, spent a couple of years at the square there. Absolutely loved it. And then I moved to the new square in Bruton Street, spent a couple of years at Bruton Street there when Phil got his second star. Uh, so that was a pretty influential period of my life. And then Phil and I opened a couple of businesses together, actually. We did a little restaurant in Parsons Green together. We did um, we did some other bits and pieces together. And eventually I sort of had a massive yearning to just do my own thing and do my own restaurant. So I did, and I opened my own restaurant, a little place called Time in Clapham in 2001, just the day after the tragic 9-11, actually. Um, so I opened that. I was quite young, 27. And... Uh, and yeah, I just sort of got involved from there, really. After four years, we sold that restaurant, um, my partner and I at the time, and we moved to Covent Garden in the hospital club in Covent Garden, opened a restaurant in there. That didn't work for me. Um, nine months later, it sort of evaporated. And then eventually, uh, after a little bit, I moved back to Clapham, um, did a joint venture with somebody who owned the building that I really loved in Clapham. And... Um, and we opened a restaurant called Trinity 15 years ago. Um, and that is the long and short of that. And then six years into the life of Trinity, we opened a restaurant called Bistro Union, which is still there and does brilliantly, six or seven years ago now, in uh, 2012. So that's still in the other side of Clapham. In 2015, we closed Trinity, we refurbished, we built a new restaurant on top of Trinity called Upstairs, uh, refurbished the whole thing. And nine months later, we were awarded a star. And then a year and a bit after that, I took on the role of food and beverage director at Brown's Hotel and opened a restaurant there with them. So that's where we are. That's my life in one minute. Hey, that's, um, I mean, that's probably one of the quickest summaries I think we've ever heard. And uh, and what what a summary as well. So I mean, take me back to the time when you, I mean, you got into the industry at 16, from what I understand, and from uh, your family's background, there was cooking's always been something that's that's been there. Um, so, I mean, when you were working initially, you went straight into, you say you worked in, with John Williams for a significant period of time. Yeah, I worked at Claridge's for, with that whole apprenticeship was nearly five years at Claridge's and John Williams was was my exec chef there. And how was that? I mean, in terms of an introduction into, uh, into the culinary world, it's uh, quite a start, hey? Yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible. But more, you know, at the age of 16, you're not sort of, um, it's not about becoming uh, the best cook in the world. It's about learning to become a chef and learning to work in a hierarchy, learning to respect ingredients, learning to work in a, with procedures and systems and organisation and banqueting and afternoon tea and all the amazing things that happen in a hotel. And, and also growing up as a young man from 16 to 20, uh, they're really influential years of a young man's life when you grow up. So I spent, I did my sort of growing up, my maturity years inside that hotel in that environment as well. So incredibly influential. And John was, um, and still is a, a very good friend, mentor and culinary father, I call him. Yeah, it's, it's good to have, su have such a strong background with regards to starting because sometimes, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Bournemouth lad myself, so um, I'm familiar with sort of oh. some of that hotelier environments around there certainly i lived in boscombe in, oh, in a bnb in boscombe yeah <laughs> not a place i'd particularly want to frequent again if i could help it 
No, I mean to be fair, Boscombe's come up a lot recently in uh, in the last few years, and they've got some really. I'll take nice... your word for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps back then when uh, the opera house was there, it's probably the. Uh... Mm. Yeah. What, what... Be different. Yeah, one of the most savoury of places. Whereabouts in Bournemouth? Did you do any uh, what sort of work experience, or were you working down in Bournemouth at the same time as working at college? No, the college was pretty full on actually. The academy course is very specific and and very specialised. It's not one of those couple of hours a day. It's properly it's proper in at eight thirty and leave at five, you know, full time. And then at the weekends, I'd, every third weekend, I'd come home to see my parents because um, uh, I was very young. And then after six months, we would do we would do six months at college. And then nine months back in the hotel, six months of college, nine months in a hotel. So it was like a block release thing for, for five years. Yeah. And there were 12 of us started the course and five of us finished it. So it was a yeah amazing thing. And uh, it's, yeah. It's, we're doing a lot of work at the moment with colleges. So um, Adam Simmons and mm-hmm. I, we're working with, well, trying to get around as many colleges as possible over the next 12 months, really. Um, and so a big part of our day-to-day work is when we're speaking to these students is about encouraging them to stick with the industry and you know encourage more people to come into an industry that's quite frankly probably the, one of the best industries in the world um, and the dropout rate is something that we're, we're trying hard to tackle because we want these youngsters to come into an environment and feel comfortable enough to stay long term and, and view this as a career not just as something that either they were thrown into or, or a stopgap um, which is obviously a challenge in itself, but that's one of the reasons why the Burn Chef project was set up, which is, you know, not to produce a, an industry with people who are, are hanging on by the skin of their teeth. You know, it's a tough and it can be at times a brutal industry, but just try and make it a little bit more safer, I think, for people to work in um, within environments that are quite, you know, they're known to be highly stressed and uh, they can be quite toxic at times, but I think that's starting to change now. Um, so, Working with the likes of John Williams and sort of Philip Howard over uh, over those period of times, I mean the hospitality industry, as I've just mentioned, has changed quite a bit over those over the years. And um, I'd be interested to hear, you know, from your experiences, whether or not there were any times particularly that were challenging with those, or any times where you perhaps struggled, and and who your mentors uh, sort of directed you to, or what they said, or, or how you managed to get out of those, really. Um, yeah, I found it, I have found it hard a, a, a few times, um, but the, there, there were two incidences in my, in my, my cooking life that were both, they, and they both predate the, the phrase mental health. <laughs> so that, that is actually quite a, a recent thing where people would talk about mental health back in back in the day when this sort of these sort of things happened to me it was not it was sort of labeled almost like a nervous breakdown right it's not like that and i don't even know i don't even know how you would clinically define that it's not that but it's just basically you just be, i just became completely overwhelmed not from the physical work that was required of me not from the hours not from the lack of eating lack of sleeping not not that side of it the it was completely to do with being overwhelmed with the pressure and the workload that was put upon me now that was that happened to me twice throughout my career um not much was done about it at the time uh apart from i probably took some a little bit of time off 
regroup myself and then basically maneuver myself out of that situation that was causing me that much pressure and, 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 and difficulty. And, and essentially I was overwhelmed with the work and the pressure and the responsibility that was put on me. Now, I'm a firm believer that that actually is, is the root of most of the problems. Most young people that work for me that are in their mid twenties can work a lot of hours. They can live off a fairly limited amount of sleep that can work off of that. They can work off minimal amount of you know basic eating. That's kind of that people can do that. People do do that all over the world. That's not the stuff that's going to break people and, and, and cause problems for people. It's if you put people in a position where they are completely overwhelmed or just but have their their head is below water essentially with the amount of work and responsibility they have to take on. And this has happened to us in the restaurant a couple of times where people where people who have been brilliant in the earlier years, people have been brilliant and we've essentially elevated them up through the system in the business uh, because they were brilliant people, brilliant craftsmen. But that didn't mean they were ready mentally to take on the challenge and the responsibility that that promotion or that higher level in the, in the business demanded of them. And it was overwhelming for them. And I could see the signs of that happening um, and it did happen um, to us a couple of times and, and we managed to sort of deal with it, palm off some of the workload, perhaps move that person into a different position, please perhaps reevaluate re that for that person. But I think that's, that's actually quite often the problem is that people, and as employers, as chef, senior chef employers like that, we have a responsibility not to put people in a position that is simply just going to overwhelm them because that's what's going to cause damage to their mental health and their ability to have a work-life balance. I think that's my take on it. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're completely, you're completely right. But it's, I think as an industry, we're, we're starting to talk more about mental health and stress and the impacts of stress, but, but then not just physical, but also mental health. Um, but I think it's difficult for many to sort of start to recognize the signs and to, be educated enough to be able to say well actually the by doing this or moving this person into this area it's likely to have a knock-on effect of a b and c and then ultimately that's going to affect the business it's going to affect other members of staff so i suppose really for the question that I, I have for you is at what stage during your career did you start to notice um the impacts or notice the signs and what sort of signs were you looking out for whereby that perhaps the person wasn't resilient to be able to fit in that role or they required more training in order to be able to be more efficient within that position. The, in the, in, do you mean in the two, two or three times that I've experienced that with people in my brigade or with me personally? No, within, within your sort of brigades, uh, you know, what, what have you, as a business owner, obviously it's, it's key to the ongoing function, functionality of the business. I think, if, I, think if you're, I think if you're in any way emotionally intelligent and slightly engaged with your team, you can recognise when somebody's off their game someone you know we, we live and work with these people all day long i spend much more time with my team than i do with my family and when you're there with them all day every day you can see if someone's just not it's just not working for them they're not happy it's not working they take it out on other people they get ratty they get dis distracted they their work rate becomes erratic and their happiness their general happiness and their mood is elevated it's almost like um I, in, in the few instances this has happened, I have t spoken to other people quietly and said, you know, has that guy got 
is there a drug issue going on or is there a substance issue or anything going on with that guy? Because the behavior is quite erratic and quite kind of all over the place. And so that would be the way I, I've sort of identified it and then sort of pinned it down, had a chat with the person, taken them aside and, and tried to get to the bottom of it. But it's quite a hard thing for people to sit there and admit to you that I'm not coping because it's too much work for me. Very hard for someone to say that. Because essentially, you're, what you think you're saying is that you're a failure. Well, you're, well, you're clearly not. It's just that you've you're been put in that position too early or you're not ready for that amount of responsibility. Yes. It's an attack almost on pride, isn't it? Especially within our, mm. within our industry. Um, yeah, the ego is huge in our industry, isn't it? Well, yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it's 50% ego and 50% passion, isn't it, really, ultimately? Mm. Um, but I guess... From an employer's point of view, it's, you know, the long-term impacts of it and being able to nip it in the bud sooner rather than later is, well, it's only valuable to the efficiency and the operational profitability of the business, but also your staff's well-being as well. As you say, looking after your staff is, well, it's the, it's the role and the responsibility of an employer that if you, if you hire someone, you take them on and you look after their health, isn't it, really? Mm, but, absolutely. And you know what? Happy, happy chefs make happy food. And that's really quite an important thing. You know, people can't, people that are unhappy simply do not cook nice food. The end. So the happier your brigade is and the happier your team is, the better the product is going to be on the plate, the more love and care is going to go into it. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the conversations that you have to have with people in order to be able to get them to open up, how much of it do you reckon is, is sort of just general culture? How much do you reckon is stigma? I mean, is the edu education within the sort of chef environment and certainly the hospitality environment, do you feel it's getting better on mental health or do you feel there's still quite a lot of unknowns about it? I think the awareness is, is, is far greater than it has been ever before. Uh, people are aware of mental health. People like me who didn't grow up with that kind of uh, pastoral care or nurturing in the industry uh, have been made aware of it. And it's definitely at the forefront of what we think about in terms of looking after our team. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of the industry now. Yeah, people have done a great job of awareness. Yeah, yeah. Would you say it was still a long way to go, or that we're almost sort of on the on the precipice of having it nailed, so to speak? Um, I would say that I, th I think it's probably always going to be a work in progress, something like that. That's never going to be fixed. I, I, you probably can't find an industry where that's not a problem. So it's always going to be a problem. It's how the problem is dealt with by, by our industry at large. And you know what, the, what you said in the outset there that, about attracting young people into our industry, it, it is so much a better industry now. I'm so proud of the industry that we are now all part of. And I think it is attractive and I think it, it can offer a work-life balance. I think it can offer all the amazing things that hospitality industry can offer, which is that creativity, that being part of a really tight bunch of people that do amazing stuff together, being part of a really close-knit industry that are creative and do brilliant things and support each other. It, I think it's, it's moved on leaps and bounds. The work-life balance is now achievable in this industry and you can, you can cook at a really high level and have a, uh, you know, a relatively decent work-life balance and relatively decent pay. These things were unheard of 10 years ago and quite scarce five years ago. So we've moved on leaps and bounds. And um, I'm really proud of that as an industry. And I think also 
the one thing to point out there is that more and more chef owners, there, the more more chefs become chef owners. A chef owner has an absolute, <laughs> it's absolutely in his right to create the environment that he wants. So whatever that per, or he or she wants, but whatever, whatever that environment you think is going to be best for your team to thrive in, you can create that as a chef owner. And that's an amazing thing. If you decide that actually my team, I'd like my team to eat really well. I'd like my team to work this many hours only. I'd like my team to be, you know, have this kind of life or do these kind of great things for my team. You can do that. And the more that happens and more, it's almost becoming a little bit um, like a one-upmanship of which business can make, you know, where, you you remember when sort of, Google and, and all those amazing tech companies opened up and they had like ping pong tables and gyms in their thing in their in the offices and yeah, bars yeah. in their offices and made it you know it all became like all about staff welfare like that restaurants are actually becoming a little bit like that but that okay bravado aside that's that's a great thing right because it means that the, that the team is becoming front and center in the in the decisions about how we set up our businesses and how we look after that so it's a good thing. I think it's all positive and it's leaps and bounds forward. And I think five years time, you're, the industry will be unrecognizable. Yeah. yeah I, it certainly feels like it's gaining momentum with regards to that. I mean, even mm. when I joined the industry, what, 12 years ago now, it was completely different to how it was five years ago. And then again, it's completely different now. And I mean, COVID to one side, it's, uh, it's so rapidly moving and it's, you know, it's definitely coming up to speed because it perhaps has had at times a sort of reputation for being a little bit back in the dark ages with how it operates but it's definitely starting to improve and you know the as you say we're not going to get slides and and ping pong tables necessarily in the restaurant unless you're unless you're really out there but just having a a work-life balance and you know nutritional value for staff food and that sort of thing is is addressing it it does bring me on quite nicely to sort of what things that you as a, as a sort of chef patron have, have brought into your business that puts the emphasis on particularly on the staff. I'd be interested to know what sort of structures you've put in place or whether that's down to staff food or hours or just general training. I mean, yeah, anything like that really. I don't, I don't yeah, I, listen, I don't think we don't do anything particularly better or different to anybody else. I listened to the podcast we sat on it the other day you know, it's quite amazing the stuff that he's done there. And I was sort of sitting there thinking, wow, I don't have much to contribute above, above and beyond that because that's a, he's created something incredibly special there. But we're a different business. We are a seven-day-a-week operation. We're in the, we're in the middle of London. And, you know, it's a totally different um, animal that we're dealing with. But what we, I t- I, well, there's one thing that has happened uh, in, recently, and this is kind of to do with COVID, and it's been a been a big eye opener for me in, in in terms of the staff improvement and welfare. When we so it's, I, I try and shorten this down, but slightly. But when we uh, when we came back from from COVID after after the lockdown one, there was that sort of huge decision about what we're going to do about this. How are we going to tackle this? What's it going to look like? We obviously got to introduce uh, distancing, so we've got to reduce our covers down. So we went from being a fifty seven seat restaurant to a thirty four seat restaurant. Then we've got the problem of, okay, we've got 60 staff out on furlough. So I sat with my management team. There's, there's six of us, or six or seven of us on the management team. And I said, look, so we're now this size business. 
and the hope is that we're going to be fully booked rather than 80% booked with 57 seats. We're going to be fully booked with 34 seats across the whole 14 services a week. But we have a, a fundamental problem here. We either bring back, we, we either have to sadly lose 25% of the team or we bring back 100% of the team. But to do that under this new regime and the risk that I'm taking on this, everyone has to come back on 80% of their wages they were on before for 80% of the hours they're working before, which is roughly seven shifts a week. They were doing eight shifts a week, everybody. And they so now we're going to bring them back on seven shifts a week on 80% wages. Yep. To make all to make all this balance up, and many things, many people did lots of innovative things like that to, because the uncertainty of walking out of lockdown one was quite incredible. Mm. Long story short, we opened, and we were. I think there were only two services in the entire three months we were trading that we weren't completely fully booked. So it went great. It went gangbusters. It went amazing. Our head. We were now only six in the kitchen at Trinity, one upstairs, four in the kitchen at Bistro Union. So the headcount was dramatically reduced um but the covers were completely fully we were at 100 capacity for the seats that we had so the model was brilliant everyone was there we had the entire team back working seven shifts a week but only on 80 percent of their wages and after 12 weeks of doing that it was so so great for us that we reduced we we increased everybody's hours back to 100 percent um we increased their money back to 100 percent but we left their way, their hours at the 80%. So everyone stayed on seven shifts a week because the production rate, the focus rate, the way that people worked, the happier they were, I could see that work-life balance in them was hugely beneficial. I could see the productivity we were getting from people was marked difference from eight shifts a week. You have to remember that it's important to remember that one a shift in a mission style restaurant that is fully booked relentlessly seven days a week. Mm. A, a shift is a pretty, it's a, it's a taxing thing. It's not just a, you know, you're in at seven, you, you're getting a 20 minute break to eat something during the whole day. And it's in, it's full on. You are relentlessly, you're never out of the shit. You know, you are completely in the shit the whole day long. You know what it's like. It, it's busy, yeah, but yeah. controllable and, but it's, it's tough. So actually, we just felt that seven shifts a week was enough. So in basically, we took the quite expensive but correct decision to move the entire business across to seven shifts a week, back, but leave their money at 100% pre-COVID money. So they all ended up now, because they sort of took that decision to work with me on this, they all now work seven shifts a week. I think it's a huge improvement for the business. The structure is there. We do a lot more AMs and PMs now so we didn't really have ams and pms in the business before but ams and pms are now very structured there's a lot more crossover in the afternoon it just works brilliantly for us it's much better the team are much happier work-life balance is much better there's now a team that make the, the team the staff family meal we call it we all sit down for dinner at five o'clock in the evening the entire restaurant sits down upstairs to have family meal together and that family meal is planned out every week before we reopen for the following week so it's kind of nice food not crazy but it's nice homely well-cooked food so you know those are the those are the key things we've done tons of innovative interesting little things but ultimately and we've done lots of things buying great things sending people on wset courses buying people books sending them on different uh, field trips doing we've done loads of great stuff but ultimately fundamentally people just want 
a good work-life balance. They want to work somewhere they're proud of. They want to be respected for who they are. And they want the environment where they know they can thrive and learn. All the rest of it is kind of just tidbits around the outside. If you can provide that and you clearly give a shit about their well-being and their growth and their their career growth and their personal growth within your environment, they're going to stay with you and they're going to be happy people and they're going to make great food. That's my take on it. And it's, it was an interesting concept that back in the original, I think actually before the original lockdown, we put a poll out. I mean, back when we were a lot smaller in terms of size, which said, you know, ask people if you had a better, better work-life balance for less pay, would you take it? Um, what would you prefer more money or basically more money and less hours to yourself or less money and more hours to yourself. And it was about a 90% swing in the favor of people who would actually take a pay cut in order to work less hours and get the family, family balance. So as a result of sort of COVID and having to look That's at interesting. Yeah. Isn't it just, and it makes me wonder, like, I mean, I wonder how many of the staff and I'm not suggesting this for a second, please don't get me wrong, but I was wondering how many of the staff from perhaps your perspective would have been happy to stay on that 80% for that work, work-life balance. Do you think that many would have been, would have, you would have kept a, a high retention rate based on that? Well, I think that, no, cause I just don't, I think that that would have put people on uncompetitive salaries ultimately. And they, yeah. that's not, that's not correct. And we ask a lot of them for those seven shifts a week there. We ask a lot of them and I want them to be on, I would think we pay, above just above average in in a you know good money and actually if we can provide the environment th- there is a retention game going on here right um whereby we were pre pre-covid this industry was walking towards a disaster of no no staff right <clears throat> we didn't have a huge problem but now going forward for us it's really about that retention thing that retention for me is everything because the more we can keep people in the business the longer they stay in the business there's about 120 years in my business right now right so people that have that's how many years have been contributed i've got people from eight years seven years ten years four people from 15 years you know all all this people stay in my business but if you can offer them a work-life balance and somewhere they can grow and progress food they love work with the best product they can possibly work with and they they're, they're somewhere they can live locally get to a tube station locally it's green locally and and the and the team are like a family that where they all play together work together why why would they go elsewhere why would they yeah, want yeah. to go elsewhere right yeah. if, that's kind of what we're trying to create is a place where they want to go elsewhere but in all honesty, we do line. I like to be in control of where people go in some way. So if, if someone shows an interest in another restaurant and they talk to us about it, we set up a, t- a stage for them or a week, a week there. We do a swap with someone, whatever. And then we arrange over a period of six months to migrate that person to go to work to at CORE or go to work at Hene or go, wherever it is they go to work, right? But that is something that if we can control that and other people in the kitchen can see that we've we've engineered a scenario where that guy's left us in a really good place. He's gone there, tried it out, spent a week, talked about it. He's gone with our blessing. We've arranged it. We've perhaps paid for the flights for him. That's a, that's the way that people should leave. Yeah. Not not picking knives up on a Monday, disappearing in the afternoon. That doesn't. That's not happened in my business for 
I don't know how many, I can't remember the last time that happened, but that is, that's where we were as an industry, right? Yeah, yeah. Just people, yeah. people just collect their knives on Friday and don't come back. Yeah. And the, you know, that's, the, that's, that's crazy. And the bad mouthing and the bitching that used to go on afterwards about previous employers was just, you know, everywhere you got gone, you knew, you knew what the chefs or the front of house person's journey was because they'd tell you, but it would never be things that would be positive. It would all be, no. oh, I wouldn't work here because of this, that, and the other. Whereas what you're actually saying is, we're turning that around completely on its head so that people not just get a better opportunity with a, a trusted referral, but they also can look back and go, do you know what? I've got my break or I'm working now for this place because of my previous employer. And they're almost, they're then the best advocates, aren't they, for other people that want to come and potentially work for you because they can say, yeah, do it. You know, you'll, you'll make a career, not just with that person, but also you know, with other areas of the business and the industry as well. Yeah, we've 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 taken on more people through referral in that way than any other than any other way. And also, don't forget that those people go away and work somewhere amazing like that, and then five years later they might come back as your junior sous or your sous chef. You know, this happens a lot too. So, it's about keeping that that team alive and, and keeping them fed and oxygenated. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've just made a note, actually, because you said, uh, yeah, a lot of your staff have come through referrals. So we did a study fairly recently and we pulled some figures from um, some of our sponsors with regards to the cost of retention. And uh, as a reserved estimate, we worked out that it cost about £5,000 per member of staff uh, in terms of turnover. So that covers the cost of the advertising the interview, the training, the wastage, you know, the setting them up on payroll, the accountancy costs, then of course, then getting, you know, once they leave after say three or six months, then on top of that, then the additional costs and then having to go through that whole rigmarole again. So added to that, then you've also got the additional pound pound value in terms of the fact that referrals don't cost you anything because they're, they're trusted word of mouth advertising, isn't it? You know, they're like mind, they have a like-mindedness, yeah. Yeah, I mean, retention, retention is king because it, it gives retention builds consistency in your product and consistency in your product is king in our in our game at the level that we're trying to work at. But you know what? Consistency is great because it takes away headache. If I have a team that know what we do, they know how we work, they know the standards we work to, they understand the fundamentals of it all. It's all great cookery at the level that we do it is basically muscle memory. It's all about repetition of doing the same thing over and over really, really well, consistently well, quicker, faster, more efficient all the time. The more consistent you have people in the business, the better all that stuff becomes and the more brilliant things you can do on top of that. If you're continually trying to teach people the four basic dishes that you do in your restaurant because you've got no one there that really understands them, you can't go anywhere. You can't grow your business at all. And that's just wrong. So, no. Four steps forward and two steps back, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, I noticed that uh, from your bio on your website, you do a lot of mentoring now with young chefs and bringing them into the industry and, and sort of training them and upskilling them. The employment opportunities are definitely there in terms of better work-life balance and you know employee perks are a lot more than they ever were. But I think we're still struggling with perhaps... In some areas of the country, I think we're struggling with the perception of hospitality and, and what it is. And I was just wondering, really, where we're talking to colleges, what things can we do to encourage more people to be able to consider this as a long-term career? Is there any way that we can help them to take this up as a long-term career rather than just a stopgap? 
I think getting um, getting some great chefs into colleges to talk to these guys and explain to them that uh, that yes, it's possible to to have a very successful career, but not everyone is going to become a Jamie Oliver. And actually, you you know there are that you can you can you can carve out a very solid fundamental career in this industry, but being famous is not part of that. You know, that actually the, people can carve out a really decent, nice career. That's an important part. Get people into colleges to do that, get, but equally get the kids into really good restaurants that you've identified as restaurants that offer brilliant standard of cookery and hospitality, offer great work-life balance, offer very fair pay, offer great standard of, of care for people and pastoral care identify those 10 restaurants and put those young kids into those environments and get them to see that because that's a selling point because there is you, you know there are some fantastic environments out there and if you were to put those kids into those environments for a few days they would see that this industry is incredible there are still some pretty nasty places out there of course there are but they're going to become few and far between and thinner on the ground as the great places that really do look after people and value people just carry on growing and, and flourishing. So that, that would be my advice. Perfect. Thank you. Um, I mean, it goes back to briefly to what we were saying about retention. I do generally believe, and I know we're circling back, but I do generally believe perhaps 2021 is going to be the year of retention, I think, due to a lot of different factors, not just COVID, but also Brexit and a lot of um, sort of people who are working here from the European area perhaps are now heading back due to that reason. So I think the business owners are, are looking at that and being able to start to tap into colleges and, you know, being recognised as an employer of choice within the industry is just going to help continually fuel decent quality staff who are who are mm. passionate and young and enthusiastic and who want to work long term for someone. So I think that's a great point. Thank you. Um, so just to wrap wrap this sort of up, I appreciate your time massively. As you've probably heard on, on a previous podcast, one thing I'd like to ask is, is if you were able to sort of time travel and go back and have a conversation with your sort of 16 to 18 year old self and provide yourself with a, a little gem of knowledge or advice for yourself, what sort of things would you say to yourself? Um, I wanted, I always, it, I guess it's, it's the same question as regret really, but I always slightly regret going into opening my own restaurant so young with with not all of the boxes ticked that I wanted to get ticked it, my life would have been made a lot easier had I've gone and cut my teeth more environments and gone and learned more from more people first so I jumped in a little bit too early and had to then sort of learn to swim while I was in the water if you like and that was costly costly on my mental health and costly on money and, and and difficult for me to i got there in the end i managed to learn to swim and, and have done perfectly fine but my road to that could have been a lot smoother and easier had i spent a little bit more time i wanted to go and work in france actually and it just never really worked out but i think probably just working uh, and, and just be i was always very good at choosing to work with people that inspired me and that i wanted to work with that were that were gonna help me progress and I really respected and liked, and that was a that was a good thing. And I think more people should consider that before they take a job. Don't take a job 
based on the accolades of the restaurant, take a job based on the people that are behind that restaurant and whether they're going to take a, a conscious decision to invest in your career and you as a person and to grow you in the industry first. That seems to be, um, that's great advice. It seems to be a, a, an underlying theme for a lot of experienced people that I'm speaking to now. It's a case of, you know, don't work for somewhere based on the fact that there's, there's two, three Michelin stars or your rosettes or whatever it might be, because ultimately it not, might not be the best for yourself long-term professionally, but also for your, for your health as well. So mm. it's, um, mm. it's an in, interesting, it's interesting. And I wonder how many sort of youngsters coming into the industry will go, ah, oh, no, it's all right. I can, I can, <laughs> I can cope with what it's got to throw at me and I'll try my own route because as you, especially I think young male bravado, um, tends to come into it, whether or not we start to see that with a, a new wave of millennials coming in of different sexes and trying to equal up that balance a little bit. Who knows? Eh? But um, yeah, our kitchen is our kitchen was at some point last year it was nearly fifty percent female for the first time ever in fifteen years. It was nearly fifty percent female, and that is a great thing for many reasons. But obviously, but that has also reduced the amount of testosterone and made it less bravado driven and more. And actually just a really nice place. It's like, it's lovely now. And uh, it's just got that really lovely balance. Yeah, it's cool. So something for other businesses to perhaps to look at then and uh, equalize mm. that, you know. But I appreciate, I, for I, sure, do, yeah. I do appreciate the time you've taken to sort of come on and chat. I know that these, these conversations often can be slightly obscure or a little bit, uh, you know, weird especially as this sort of thing wasn't discussed sort of five five years ago um but i think it's important to for others to be able to hear different chefs around the country who they look up to and recognize be able to speak openly about culture and mental health and well-being and hopefully it encourages others who perhaps don't feel as confident to talk about it to open up and and just normalize the conversation really so thank you ever so much for your time adam it's mm. appreciated no it's a serious issue chris and I, I i'm glad that you're highlighting it and it's a pleasure to be involved thanks for having me on Thank you. No problem, sir. Thank you. Have a good day, won't you? You too. Take Cheers, care. my friend. Bye. Well, there we have it. Another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. And thank you very much for Adam for joining us there and talking about his experiences and also giving us some insight into what it's like in order to keep going and running a Michelin star kitchen in the middle of London. As always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation please do take a moment to rate and subscribe. If you are looking at helping The Burnt Chef Project, then please head over to our website, www.theburntchefproject.com, where you'll find a whole host of resources, as well as our website shop, where you can purchase your own Burnt Chef merchandise, and the profits go directly towards the ongoing work of destigmatizing mental health. Also, if you're in any way, shape or form experiencing any form of mental distress or just want someone to talk to, then please use our free 24-7 text-based service. The Burnt Chef Support Service is free and available to anyone who like it 24-7. All you have to do is text Burnt Chef to 85258 and we'll have a trained volunteer get back to you within five minutes. Thanks very much and I'll see you again soon.